today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. You and I face battles today, battles of rebuke, battles of scorn, sometimes solitude, even in our Christian walk, even as as families and sometimes even friends. They don't understand what God's doing and, and how he's directing our lives. We face battles from a multitude of enemies who would at times show themselves even to be as our friends. Enemies such as worldly wisdom, enemies such as civility and even Mr. Legality. Each of those, though, that lead to death through the law rather than life through grace. The Christian life and walk is never easy. We face battles of the flesh that war against the will and workings of the Holy Spirit. We face battles from the outside that come in the form of ostracism, deception, and all forms of worldly philosophy that tries to set itself up against the wisdom and knowledge of God. In today's message, Pastor David encourages those that are feeling battle-weary to look to Jesus for strength. When we are weak, the Lord is strong. He who overcame sin and death can help his people gain the victory in all of life's challenges. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Strangers in the World, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted on a certain place where was a den and laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand and a great burden upon his back. I looked and I saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled. And not being able longer to contain, he break out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do? And so begins the story of Christian in the novel A Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Christian tried to share his burden after he's read the book, which in allegory was the Word of God, the Bible. He tried to share the burden that was now his with the rest of his family, but it was only met with rebuke and uh, scorn. They, in essence, rejected what God was doing in his life, and so Christian, for the most part, would find himself alone, going out for walks in solitude with only the book as his only company. On one such occasion, as he continued to read the book, he was once more just overcome with grief and sorrow. And as Bunyan writes, he was greatly distressed in his mind. And as he read, he burst out as he had done before, crying, what shall I do to be saved? He's met very shortly by that one named Evangelist. Evangelist asks him the reason for his sorrow, the reason for his grief and Christian then responds to him, Sir, I read in the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. 
And I find that I'm not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. It's here that Evangelist gives Christian the direction for the beginning of his journey, leaving the city of destruction, the world, and heading to the celestial city, or to heaven. And all along the way, Christian is met with a multitude of challenges that seek to either to distract him or destroy him in his journey. Characters that he would meet, such as obstinate and pliable, Mr. Worldly Wisdom and Mr. Legality and even civility. All of them trying to cause him either to return home or go on a detour or go to a direction that for certain would bring about death to him. The journey that Christian takes is very rough. Yet with the help of particular individuals like help, goodwill, interpreter, faithful and hopeful, Christian returns to the right way and he remains on track in his journey. But the journey itself that he takes shows itself to be a very long one. And it's filled with a lot of hazards all along the way. Again, Bunyan writes, Along a rough stretch of road, Christian and Hopeful leave the highway to travel on the easier bypath meadow, where a rainstorm forces them to spend the night. In the morning, they're captured by giant despair, who takes them to his doubting castle, where they are imprisoned, beaten, and starved. The giant wants them to commit suicide, but they endure the ordeal until Christian realizes that a key he has called promise will open all the doors and gates of Doubting Castle, and using the key, they escape. The journey's a familiar one, because each one of us are on that same journey. For some, it's a more intense journey. For others, not quite as intense. Some of the things, as you would read Pilgrim's Progress, you could probably relate to right down to the minutia. Others things, you'd say, well, that, that hasn't happened in my life. Well, let me pass this on to you. Perhaps it hasn't happened in your life yet. The journey is a hard one for you and I as believers as we progress and process through this life on the way to the final glory that awaits us as believers. Because this journey is so common and so true, we find that a lot of the letters to the churches that you find in your New Testament are letters of warnings. There's letters of encouragements to you and I as pilgrims. And yeah, they're, they're rich doctrinally. They're absolutely filled with all kinds of instruction and, and teaching for us. And we can learn greatly from it. But these warnings and these encouragements are so necessary. I know they are in my life. I know that there's times in my life that I'm overwhelmed in different areas. I need that encouragement. I need that further instruction. We all need to have that encouragement. Again, that continual need as we continue on as pilgrims in process. We are beginning our study in First Peter, and I know that I gave the introduction a, a couple of weeks ago, so if you want to get that introduction into mind, you're going to have to go to the internet and uh, go back to a couple of weeks ago as we gave the introduction. But as we get into it this morning, I want you to bear in mind that Peter is writing to believers just like you and I are, believers who are fighting the same battles that you and I fight even today. And you say, well, that was like 2,000 years ago. Surely they didn't have the same problems as we do. Yeah, they did. 
They had families. They had the world pulling them. They had the flesh pulling them. They had the weaknesses of their own inner being. They had all the distractions that the world would throw at them. The very same things, the very same battles that you and I face, Christians through the ages have fought and, and again, some have been greatly victorious. Others have been greatly damaged. You and I face battles today, battles of rebuke, battles of scorn, sometimes solitude, even in our Christian walk, even as, as families and sometimes even friends. They don't understand what God's doing and, and how he's directing our lives. We face battles from a multitude of enemies who would at times show themselves even to be as our friends Enemies such as worldly wisdom, enemies such as civility, and even Mr. Legality. Each of those, though, that lead to death through the law rather than life through grace. There's many a believer that's fallen prey to despair, doubting, because they forget the power of the promise the promises that are ours in Christ, and the faithfulness of the one who's made those promises. We need instruction. We need to be challenged in our life and in our Christian walk. But we also need to be encouraged. And I believe that you'll receive all of this and more as we study 1 Peter. So let's look at it this morning, if you would, in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. As Peter begins this letter, he uses a a very familiar style of introductions for that time frame. In his opening line, he in essence says, hi, this is Peter that's writing to you. You remember me, I'm one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. Very familiar style of writing during that time. The introduction, though, does really uh, a couple of things. Number one, it does identify who it is that's writing. But also, in this particular introduction, as Peter claims himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, it also states that he has this apostolic authority. Now, he could have easily identified himself uh, in in a number of ways. Uh, If you remember, his name before he came to Christ was Simon. Barjona, Simon, the son of Jonas. But Jesus gave him another name, didn't he? He gave him that name, Peter. In the Greek, it's Peter. In the Aramaic, it's Cephas. Both of them mean the rock. There's a lot of ways that he himself could have introduced himself, and I'm sure that those that would be reading his letter, they would have recognized him if he would have introduced himself, say as, hey, this is Simon Peter, the fisherman. You remember Andrew's brother. Or perhaps he could have introduced himself this way. Hey, this is Peter, the one, and by the way, the only one of the disciples that ever walked on water. You remember me, don't you? (laughs) He could have just as easily said, Hi, this is Peter, the apostle with foot and mouth disease. I'm the one that rebuked Jesus. You probably remember that. I'm the one that Jesus turned around to, looked me square in the face and said, get behind me, Satan. Peter the bold, that's who I am. The one that cut off Malchus's ear. Or he could have simply said, 
Hi, this is Peter, the one that publicly denied Jesus. There's a lot of ways Peter could have identified himself, but he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In that introduction, the second thing that we see is that title of apostle. Peter clearly states that he has authority to make certain proclamations to the church when he identifies himself as an apostle. It states that he was among the ones that were chosen, the ones that were sent out particularly as direct representatives of Jesus Christ for the work of the gospel. Apostle, in the strictest meaning of the word, simply means a messenger or a delegate. And yet we realize that these apostles were much more than mere errand boys for Jesus. They were his commissioned ambassadors. They were the ones who would be speaking his message and coming in his authority, coming as his direct representatives. And yet at the same time, we find that Peter doesn't state this title to place himself in some kind of superiority status. As a matter of fact, we find very quickly as we read his letter, he includes himself in those pronouns of we and and us. His position as apostle was a position of responsibility and authority. There's no doubt about that. But it was not a position of superiority. He was simply called by God for that purpose. And much the same way that we shared with you a few weeks ago that my position as pastor, any of our positions as pastors or leaders within the fellowship doesn't place us in any kind of a superior situation. It's just the reality of God's calling and and placement on our lives. You and I, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And one thing I realize that the ground uh, at the foot of the cross is always level. That there is no superiority, there's no one lesser, that we are all equal in Christ. He writes to those that are pilgrims, those that are strangers, those that are resident aliens in the world. As we did the introduction a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about this idea of being resident aliens. They're there in this place, we're here on this earth, but this old earth is not our home. We're just a passing through. We've got a greater home that awaits us. Peter wanted to encourage them, just as he wants to encourage us as we read this book today, some 2,000 years after it's been written. He wants to encourage them to remember that we're not permanent residents on this earth, that we are in the world, but we should never be a part of it. In verse 1, he tells them that they are strangers to the world. But then in verse 2, He reminds them that, yeah, though you're a stranger, you need to also realize that you are among the elect of God. He writes to all believers. Yet this particular letter, when it was penned, went to those who were scattered over a region that we now know as Turkey. You can look on a map and you can find where Turkey is today. And it's in that area that this letter was written to, to the churches there. In the midst of that scattering, these believers had faced an enormous amount of persecution, and Peter is writing to them to encourage them during this time of persecution. Down in verse 6, Peter speaks about these various trials. You need to understand that these were men and women who needed to be encouraged, and and in that encouragement, they needed to be reminded of who they were. And there's a lot of times you and I in our lives, if we're being beaten up by the world or 
again, as, as our own flesh drags us down. We just simply need to be reminded who we are in Christ, and we need to be encouraged by that fact that we are the elect in Christ. And again, God has a greater plan and a greater purpose for us. Beloved, if you haven't figured it out yet, there's a serious blessings that come our way simply because we are part of the elect of God. And that needs to be, man, rolled back in our mind continually. We are part of the elect of God. When the world's beating you down, when your flesh drags you down, you need to be reminded, I'm part of the elect of God. And that needs to be an encouragement. The very word elect means chosen. It speaks of the fact that God chose them just as he had chosen Israel and just as he's chosen you and I. It's a God thing. And none of us were worthy of his choice. None of us were. I look around there, I see that none of us were. None of us are really prizes, are we? And yet God chose us. The greatness of his love reached down through the garbage that is our life and says, I want that one. He chose us, as Peter says, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And what Peter writes here is in absolute full agreement with what Paul states many times in his writing. In Paul's writings to the church of Ephesus in chapter 1 declares that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And there's some people that that look at that and they try to, uh, again, figure out this whole thing of uh, the, the, the foreknowledge of God. And they say, well, what God did is God looked down through the corridors of time and saw that I would pick him. Therefore, God picked me. Do you know what that does? That puts all of it on my end, doesn't it? Rather than saying, no, God chose me with foreknowledge of knowing who I was and how much I'd screw things up, and how bad my life was. Yet God, in his foreknowledge, still chose, still chose. You see, the word of God is clear, both Old Testament as as well as New Testament, that it's the work of God, it's not the work of man. Paul continually refers to it, the book of not only Ephesians, but also in Romans, in Romans 9, verses 15 and 16. You don't have time to look at it, but you can write it down and look at it later. Paul writes that God spoke to Moses, and he said, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So Paul then sums it up, and he says, so then. It's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. That may be a mind opener for some of you. It may be really stretching for some of you, but it's the word of God. Later, Paul writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he writes and says that God has saved us. And he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, has, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
And there's a multitude of places, again, in Old Testament and New Testament, that speak of the work of God's election due to his great sovereignty. Now, what that ought to do for you and I is that that ought to be a great encouragement to us. Not to go and live a life like a child of hell, but to live a life continually as a child of the king because the king knows us. He knows our tomorrows even when we don't. And he knows that, yeah, even though I chose that one, I know that one's going to fail and he's going to stumble and he's going to struggle. But yet my love continues to reach out to him. He's mine. Now we can disagree with this idea of foreknowledge, predestination and election of God. We can argue with it. But beloved, we can't deny it because it's throughout the word of God. God God has a predetermined plan and a purpose for our lives and it is not determined by the will of man. So the argument a lot of us have is, again, how, how, how can this thing of election and predestination, how can this all work? Doesn't man have a free will? This is the argument of the ages that goes on and on. The sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. How can they coexist? And yet, beloved, the scriptures speak clearly of each one. And just as Christian there in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he had to choose to proceed down the path to the celestial city. Each individual has to choose to follow that call of Christ. We need to respond to that wooing of the Holy Spirit. For you see, we also read that there is a multitude of whosoevers throughout Scripture. Again, Old Testament and New Testament. Matthew 10, Jesus speaking. He says that, therefore, whosoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done Greek studies or used some helps that you can look at Greek words and find out the deeper of the meanings. Every once in a while, I use those not to impress you because I know a lot of Greek, but just simply because I I read it and I want to give it to you. You can look at the depth of what that Greek word that is translated as whosoever means, and you know what that really and truly means in the Greek language? Whosoever. (laughs) Whosoever. That means whoever believes, whoever confesses. Does that then limit God? No. Makes it great and wide. So again, this thing. John, in in, in the Gospel of John, John writes in chapter 3, the most familiar portion of passage, probably even not only for believers, but even for unbelievers. John writes not in 16, but let's back up one verse, John 3, 15. John writes that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved a portion of the world. No, that's not what it says, is it? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if the elect believe in him, that's not what it says, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Open our hearts, change us from within by the 
Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter, reminding us through this letter that persecution comes to every follower of Jesus. The encouragement to keep strong in faith in those times of trial is also a challenge, though. Instead of complaining, turn to Jesus. Instead of shrinking from the hard questions, embrace them with truth. Walking in faith and with hope isn't an easy task, but Jesus has promised to walk with us and give us the words we need to speak. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word, and we hope you're leaving us today feeling stronger in your faith. Before we close our time with you today, though, Pastor David would like to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. You know I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for being a part of our time here today. Pastor David will return soon to continue studying 1 Peter right here on The Open Word.